April showers bring Mayflowers, but what do Mayflowers bring? A special offer from the DSR Network. For the month of May, become a member and receive 20% off a monthly or annual membership. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, exclusive bonus content, our evening members-only newsletter, and an invitation to continue the conversation via our members-only Slack community. This offer won't last, so act now. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code MAYFLOWERS, one word, to receive your discount. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code MAYFLOWERS. Thank you for your support. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we head into another election cycle and discuss what our leaders are saying and doing or not doing anything about them. Today, we have an incredibly, in fact, it was such a just jam-packed topic uh, extravaganza that we put on the whiteboard, Norm, Uh, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Uh, There might be some of our fellow pods that are talking about the coronation, and I know that'll be live covered all weekend. It's something that I could care less about, and I plan to not spend any time watching, but I understand that you are embarking on a great wedding season, which is always wonderful to see love and, and having some joy. Um, so it's my job to bring that joy down to reality and show you that uh, and ask you, I want to cover a couple of topics, Norm. Hopefully you're you're willing to play ball debt ceiling because, I mean, I'm now getting more and more scared even beyond what you've done to kind of make the world alert to what we should be scared about. And then two, <clears throat> we have a back, to, we have kind of a nice little bookend of um, Donald Trump, uh, Proud Boys, E. Jean Carroll, I'll call it just egregious, like um, egregious uh, acts of injustice that we should discuss. And and that'll that'll probably take us uh, for our length of today's pod. And then for any of our members that are listening, we have to touch on uh, Clarence Thomas, the saga continues chapter, I think this is what, seven or eight, and we can do a little update there. But Norm, how are you? Tell Tell me how you feel heading into a wedding season. Do you feel like you're, you're, you must you must have this like ebullient joy at getting suits together for all occasions. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the downside to it, uh, it's wonderful in so many ways. But, you know, I used to travel all the time and you just sort of build it into your lifestyle. Then uh, the pandemic hit and uh, it stopped. And now the travel has become such a burden. Uh, so there's that. Um, but there's also, uh, as you say, mixed in with that, looming over it, uh, the harsh reality of uh, life in what is now multiple Americas. Uh, yesterday, just to pick one dark example, the North Carolina legislature voted for a 15-week uh, ban on abortions. And they have one more vote uh, going their way that will enable them to override the veto of the Democratic governor 
that vote is coming from a woman who switched parties two weeks ago from Democrat to Republican. And uh, just watching yesterday the video of her a few years ago talking about her own abortion and about uh, talking emotionally about how this is uh, should be between a woman and her doctor and her family and all of that, and now turns around and votes for that 15-week ban on abortions, which is going to lead to some deaths. Um, and you realize how sick our politics have become, but also how we have these states now. Uh, you know, I've said this over and over, the Confederacy basically is winning. Uh, <laughs> so, so that kind of puts a damper on things. And then we have the debt ceiling. Yeah, tell me. So I have to be honest. Um, every time Janet Yellen speaks, I keep like, you know, I get more and more concerned. And when she addressed Congress on Monday and said that the United States would default as soon as June 1st, which is significantly earlier than what we had discussed around a July, August, September kind of CBO identified deadline. Um, I, you know, she then did a little bit of these caveats, like could be a number of weeks later, but then of course the GOP jumped on that and said that, uh, you know, number one, nobody believes her. This is John Kennedy, my favorite from Louisiana, like that this is late July or early August is more realistic. By the way, I don't know how that makes things better just as a, yeah. um, you know, that just seems like horse pucky to me, but it's, it's, uh, and then, and then as I understand it, again, you're my death ceiling guru, the kind of date, so to speak, it's not the date that it technically runs out of cash, but it's actually, again, keeping in mind that the United States has to like pay its credit card bills, just like you and I do, that it's the date at where the cash balance drops below the kind of minimum. And I think that's the, so people will say like, well, it's not like the government has zero dollars. Um, but yeah. So anyway, that's the, tell me what kind of your read and uh, unpack the situation a bit for us. So uh, I've been alarmed at this prospect for many, many, many months. Um, I was, I've really been struck by how uh, Democrats in the White House and the House and Senate, going back to when the Republicans first won the House, um, didn't take it as seriously as they should have. And I think it's because the logic is uh, defaulting is unthinkable. So we're not going to think about it, uh, that, of course, they wouldn't push us over the edge. But it's ignoring the reality of where the House Republicans are and where Kevin McCarthy is and has been. And, you know, when they uh, uh, McCarthy uh, got his bill, uh, the sort of budget plan that would raise the debt ceiling for just one year, uh, but in return would require absolutely draconian cuts in veterans uh, uh, benefits and health, in healthcare generally, in every element that affects people's lives, air traffic control, you name it, uh, cutting by a third uh, now and basically by uh, more than half uh, over a 10-year period, Republicans denying that it, they would touch veterans benefits, but it's right there in their bill. He got it passed by one vote. There were uh, four Republican defections, and two of them came from the hardest of hardliners because it didn't go far enough. And he only got it done with the dissidents who kept him from being speaker for 14 ballots until he won on the 15th by one vote, 
by telling them that this was the floor, not the ceiling for negotiations. So in other words, they only negotiate by asking for even more than what they've done. Now that's bluster to some degree, but the reality is that there's no plan B here. And so we know that House Democrats have actually been thinking about this since January. Um, the discharge petition is a something that has been in the House rules since there was a revolt against an autocratic speaker in 1910, uh, Joe Cannon. And it is, uh, you can get a majority of signatures of members of the House, 218, and you can force a bill to the floor for a vote, even if the leadership doesn't want it, the committees refuse to report it out and so on. But it's a very unwieldy thing. It takes, uh, you have to have a bill that's in a committee. It has to be there for 30 legislative days, which is not 30 calendar days. And then you have to uh, have it in the rules committee for seven legislative days. And then you, there are two days a month in which you could bring up something. So it's not something you can do on a hair trigger, but they've planned for it so it can happen. But to make that work, uh, assuming that it's like the 11th hour and 59 seconds before uh, uh, you actually default, uh, they'd have to still get five Republicans. And we're talking about Republicans who voted for this draconian plan with at least most of them saying, well, this is our negotiating tool. The idea that you would give it all up. And we know what happened. Uh, let's just go back. Look at the Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump after the violent insurrection. They're almost all gone. They were defeated in primaries. They were, uh, they resigned. They got death threats. Uh, they've been shunned from a polite Republican society, if there is such a thing. So the idea that five of them are going to uh, defect and face those death threats and the primary challenges and all the rest of it defies belief. So the White House has, I think, a plan B. Um, and that plan B is to invoke the 14th Amendment of the Constitution to say there should be no such thing as a debt ceiling. It's unconstitutional to reassure our creditors that their bills will be paid. Maybe in the end to direct Janet Yellen to print that uh, or mint that three trillion dollar uh, titanium coin. Uh, but. You know, what we have to look at is we're going to get to an 11th hour negotiation with people who don't want to negotiate and a speaker who knows that if he gives up too much, uh, he is gone. And more than likely, you have to go over the brink until you can pull it back. And maybe then you could make a discharge petition work. And our allies and our adversaries are not going to look favorably upon what will be seen as a gimmick if you invoke the 14th Amendment. So the only other way out of this is somehow you can figure out how the Biden administration can make some uh, relatively meaningless concession that would be enough to get those five Republicans, like you're going to turn back the COVID relief funds that have not been spent. Um, or 
you're going to create a phony commission that will look into spending down the road. I don't see the Freedom Caucus people accepting that. I don't see McCarthy accepting that. And under those circumstances, I'm still highly skeptical that five Republicans, and there are plenty more than five who know how reckless and disastrous this is, uh, in the House will go along. So I'm scared to death of where this is taking us. And I would just say one more thing, Kavita, which is the, the reality is that plenty of these Freedom Caucus people are willing to blow the whole thing up. And plenty of others are okay with it because they believe that the public, with a frame that the mainstream media have put on this, will blame the president. Because I continue to see these stories and these headlines that say uh, both sides refuse to negotiate. Um, Biden won't uh, do anything. That's partly why they're having this meeting in the White House uh, in the next week. Um, and the public tends to blame the party in power and they see the uh, Democrats as the party in power. So we could have Republicans lead us into economic catastrophe and have it pay off for them, which would be unthinkable, except we have to think about it. Yes, I um, I honestly had not thought about what would the like morsels be, you know, but you're right. I mean, kind of returning funds that aren't used. But I don't know if any Republican, to your point, like the kind of moderate or even not even so moderate, but any Republican that might have kind of jumped at that. I just don't to your, I don't know if that's good enough. And there is no kind of appetite for actual conversation because quotes coming out of like even it's not the Freedom Caucus. Like, I mean, you, you're watching like nobody. And McConnell is very careful with his words, right? Like McConnell's made it very clear that he also doesn't believe Ye Yellen's de deadline and that he's doing the same thing to support this narrative that the House is putting forward. So once again, we're in lockstep with each other. So I think, uh, all right. So I, I, I know that um, we could talk about the debt ceiling. Well, I would want you to talk about the debt ceiling all day. I'll say that the the only thing that I saw as like a bright ray of light was the Axios kind of uh, report that it seemed like, you know, Tim Kaine, Jeff Merkley were actually going to bring some legislation back from 2021 that they introduced that would give the White House authority to set the debt limit on an annual basis and allow Congress to reject it via resolution. And back then, um, Kennedy and Thune on the Senate side had some, you know, support broadly for that process, but, you know, who knows? And and who knows if it would even make it out of committee, but I'm, I'm trying to look for like little glimmers of silver linings and some of this. And that was the only thing I could find. I, I, I just, a, a little bit of the backstory here. I, I, I wrote a piece uh, in the Atlantic in October before the election on this saying, if the Republicans take the house, they're going to uh, bring us to a debt ceiling uh, uh, disaster. And that the solution was exactly what you said, which is actually called the McConnell rule, because this is what Mitch McConnell came up with as a one-time fix in 2011. And I talked to people at the highest levels in the White House and in the Senate and in the House about doing this during the lame duck session. And it was mostly a shrug. Now, what I was told was that they'd actually broached this in the Senate, that the Republicans were not going to cooperate, that they would need to do it through reconciliation, 
that they would then need all 50 Democrats to do this. And um, and then they'd have to, it was also some of the senators were saying, well, the parliamentarian won't accept it, but they didn't have mansion and cinema. And one thing uh, that I was told by several uh, uh, who were deeply involved is that the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, which is an irresponsible group that has uh, praised the McCarthy plan, uh, but um, that they were working with Mansion and Cinema to keep this from happening because what they wanted at minimum was to get another Simpson Bowles type commission, but they thought that this was a great opportunity to radically cut back on spending. So uh, whether Mansion and Cinema would have gone along without that, I don't know. Um, I I tend to doubt it, um, but they didn't have the votes for it. I told them the parliamentarian is uh, she is not an unreasonable person. She's a stickler as a parliamentarian would be. But I said to them, the doubters, look, if the leadership goes to the parliamentarian and says, okay, there are two possible outcomes here. One is you reject uh, a fix on the debt ceiling as not fitting within the rules of reconciliation. And we uh, have a breach and then there's a global economic depression. And people will look back on what decision triggered that. Or you can find a way to make this work. And I would guess that we would have found a way to make it work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just stunned at the lack of urgency back then. They just didn't believe that this could happen. It's as if we had no memories of when we had come to the brink before and that the dynamics now are far worse. Well, okay. So we will continue to do our, what it feels like a weekly you know, update on this. And each time it feels a little more grim. We'll see kind of how that plays out. Uh, um, my only advice to people is to make sure that they have some cash on hand, because the one thing I can tell you is that if all of this just kind of, and things kind of freeze and people refuse to take credit cards and just transactions just come to a grinding halt, um, cash will be king probably. So uh, this is this is your chance to go out to the ATM and get a couple hundred every week until we fi- until we have somebody figure this out. Uh, all right, so let's move to something again. Our egregious um, acts uh, theme here, along with Republican actions and the insurrection at the Capitol, uh, certainly absolutely qualifying as not just domestic terrorism but criminal conspiracy against democracy. And now it feels like there's some elements of justice that uh, are being brought forward after I know you and I have kind of been talking, feels like literally for years about this. Four members of the Proud Boys group were convicted of seditious conspiracy in a D.C. federal court. And there were also some other trials where they had other right-wing groups, the Oath Keepers, with a similar charge. And that kind of just emphasizes that it wasn't just one court, not just the D.C. federal court, but different courts, different juries, basically have come to the conclusion that I don't think it took us this long to come to, that January 6th was not a spontaneous riot. It was planned, organized, incited by elected individuals and people in the in, like in our government, i.e. Donald Trump. And I think that uh, for uh, let's, let's kind of pair that. I know that's something you brought uh, to our attention. Norm was also while this was happening, um, E. Jean Carroll's attorneys were suing uh, former President Trump for basically battery and related to uh, an alleged rape uh, in the 90s. 
um, rested their case. And so did Trump's lawyers. And I'm going to read the words from District Judge Lewis Kaplan uh, and, and the district judge in, in brilliance, as I, I think you said it, it gave Trump the weekend to rethink testifying. Um, he has a right to testify, which has been waived. But if he has second thoughts, I'll at least consider it. And maybe we'll see what happens. <laughs> and so there's uh, there's that along with the story that prosecutors in the office of special counsel Jack Smith, who have been investigating those classified documents, are talking to a confidential witness that worked um, at Mar-a-Lago during that time. So this is, I, I don't even know how to, I said bookends, but I just gave you a third with the, um, the Mar-a-Lago, you know, potentially Trump deliberately moving those boxes. Uh, how, uh, Norm, reactions, I will say, like, I was really happy to see that proud boy, you know, I was happy to see those four names come across and see that verdict handing, handed down because of what I think still seems like some debate about what January 6th was. Give, give us your take um, and some insights. And does this feel like something where it's breaking through this threshold we've been waiting and things are finally like, this is it. This is finally like that moment where accountability is actually occurring or is it too soon to tell? No, I, I think first uh, let's give uh, a little uh, applause to Merrick Garland. Yes. Oh yeah. I should have said that. Department. Right. <laughs> right. Um, every single case that they brought has resulted in a conviction. Um, the uh, sentences sometimes have been a little uh, more lenient than we would like, sometimes because they're Trump-appointed judges, um, but they've gotten everybody. There is no charge more difficult to bring and prove than seditious conspiracy, because you really have to get into uh, a conspiracy. People have to agree, uh, and uh, this conviction, I would think, would send chills up a number of spines, including, uh, for example, Roger Stone um, and Michael Flynn, who were uh, very much engaged in conversations with uh, the Proud Boys. I would also think that the picture uh, that I've seen now multiple times on Twitter and elsewhere of Ted Cruz with his arm around Enrico uh, Terrio uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Donald Trump Jr. Um, is not going to make them very happy either. I said, let's, uh, they, they must have a group called Friends of Seditious Conspiracy. Um, but <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I can just see the logos now. It's, uh, you know, it's the a trial t shirt. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, uh, the, the trial, the E. Jean Carroll trial, I mean, she has a tough case to prove, even though. This is a civil trial, and it's not uh, the same threshold as a criminal trial. But it was stunning to see that her lawyer, uh, Takapino, um, uh, wouldn't put on any case, said flatly, Donald Trump will not testify. And then Trump goes on a rant, I think in Ireland, where he was uh, looking to buy another golf course or build a golf course, um, about how this was just ridiculous. How, how could they possibly bring this kind of charge against somebody who's one of the richest people? I mean, it's like, well, because I'm rich, I can do anything I want. Who do you think you are? And then said that, of course, he's going to come in to, to tell his story. So he completely undermined his own lawyer. And as you said, Kavita, instead of ignoring it, Judge Kaplan said, well, you know, Mr. Takapino, uh, you've said that your client didn't want to appear. 
but your client has said he does. So we'll give him a weekend to see if he wants to work that out because we'll keep this open. And it uh, really puts the screws to Takapino. Um, but also uh, the jury hears this. And if Trump now does not come in, that will also be another factor for this jury. And we also know that in a civil case of this sort, uh, the rules are looser. You can bring in other women and the other women who testified that this was Donald Trump's modus operandi. And of course, the uh, Access Hollywood tape. Uh, all of that, uh, even if there, there's a judgment and it's not a huge sum of money, um, there is a very strong possibility that we are going to have a jury saying Donald Trump assaulted and raped E. Jean Carroll. And the front runner for the Republican nomination, who will soon be doing a town hall on CNN, um, may have to go in as a, in effect, uh, convicted rapist, even if it's only a civil uh, co conviction. Now, it still has to be unanimous. And who knows, there may be a juror um, who will hold out. But this has been a bad week for Donald Trump. And if you have people convicted of seditious conspiracy, that means the noose is tightening there. And then there's the other factor that you talked about, where uh, Jack Smith has called in two other Trump lawyers on the possibility, with now a cooperating witness, that the um, tapes of uh, uh, the security cameras down at Mar-a-Lago were tampered with, which would be really serious evidence of obstruction of justice. And if you get these witnesses who might face jail time themselves, lawyers and others working at Mar-a-Lago, testifying that Donald Trump told them to uh, get rid of the security footage that showed that they were moving these documents around, he's in even bigger trouble. And of course, we're still, you know, we're not going to get these indictments in Georgia until sometime probably in July now is what Fannie Willis had said. But the evidence there is pretty clear that he's going to be indicted. And Jack Smith is pursuing all of these other cases, including, uh, you know, a very strong possibility that Trump himself might have communicated with people convicted of seditious conspiracy. This has been a bad week for Donald Trump. Um, and it's not going to get any better. That bad week, while I... Thoughts and it, prayers. Uh, right, exactly. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We might need to... That might need to become our new tagline. Thoughts and prayers for Donald Trump. Um, while I... Uh, there's the sensible part of me that thinks, this is great. This is like kind of Trump going down. And then there's the, now I'm living in 2023 reality part of me that thinks this could be a tailwind for him. I mean, people could just continue to spin this narrative of like, look at, look, I mean, look at just this, you know, Biden conspiracy and all of these things. And this is just proof that this is like what's happening. They doctored photos, they brought in lawyers. Like I, I it's still kind of, um, it actually gets to your debt ceiling point. Like we're still kind of in this, why I think that we don't have to kind of identify things as lies and misinformation, you know, yet here we are. And I, you know, it's it's the Michelle Obama, like when they go low, we go high. And I'm like, no, we have to go. I think it was uh, it was David Rothkopf. And, and when we did our pod together, I'm like, 
No, when they go low, we have to go just as low, if not lower. And it's terrible that I say that, you know, it's a, it's hard. So I worry that this could make things um, better for him. And did you hear the rumor also? Now this is just a, here we go on words matter, just breaking into gossip. Um, This like kind of teasing of Tucker Carlson being his running mate. Have you seen that thread of what, you know, the other interesting twist here is Trump has said, he will not participate in these uh, debates uh, that the Republican National Committee is putting on. It's really kind of funny because, of course, uh, Ronna Romney McDaniel, the chair of the Republican National Committee, has been as big a lick spittle for Donald Trump as anybody. Set up these debates uh, so that uh, it would protect him by saying you'd have to take a pledge that you'll support the nominee no matter what. And now Trump is saying, I'm not going to sign that pledge and I won't participate in the debates. And Tucker Carlson is saying, I'll set up debates and we'll do it through me. He's trying to create a a parallel party. Uh, And it wouldn't be surprising to me that he would be a running mate. Neither would it be surprising if it's Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, But what we also know is there was a poll of Republicans in the country very chilling poll that basically said a majority of them would rather support somebody who said that the 2020 election was stolen than somebody who said that it was a fair election. Oh yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is a, this is what you get with a cult. And so Trump is still clearly the front runner for the Republican nomination no matter what, and I know a lot of uh, people who are sort of going back and scrambling to look at other uh, office holders who were able to win and hold office even if they were in jail. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I just, uh, yeah, I saw that, and and I thought, oh gosh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use the, um, you know, it's just polling and statistics, and you can manipulate anything yeah. you want, and I don't know how the questions were asked, but yeah, norm. I mean, this is not like, this is it's exactly to your point, like we're we're entering into this kind of cult. It's not, it's cults, it's brainwashing, but at the heart of it is a psychological cynicism of like truth. Like there, there is no truth anymore. And I'm not, by the way, I am not trying to, like, I think some people, you probably get a lot of this in your inbox. I, like, I think there's some people who are like, like not everything Democrats do is perfect. I am here to say, in fact, I feel like you and I have pointed out many times, like this is where we're, this is where you know both parties are failing, but especially Democrats who have the ability to like create you know the power in the White House to create this narrative are failing. This is not to say that um, any one person or party somehow is immune from like all of the kind of political ills. But I will tell you, like this is like a there is no truth anymore. Like people don't even understand facts and. I think some on the extreme left are that way and the extreme right uh, are that way. And it's leaving those of us that I wouldn't have said I was a moderate 10 years ago, Norm. And I feel like now I'm sitting in the middle uh, with a majority of the country and we're all just confused. And so we're getting these polarized, the, the brainwashing is kind of occurring at like extremes. And, and, and by it's, it's Bernie Sanders. I don't know if you saw this, this is a little, an example of that, Bernie Sanders sent um, just this past week that he would not approve any um, Senate count. He would not uh, move people through committee 
I think he called out Biden people. I had read the PDF of the actual like letter communication, basically as chairman of the Health Education, Labor and Pensions Committee, that he would not move or support any nomination from the Biden administration that um, that is that is uh, has had any history of ties to the pharmaceutical industry. And I, I actually I understand the like posturing of that. It's a great posture because the pharmaceutical industry has done nothing to like, you know, kind of make themselves look like they're on the side of like the, the kind of the good people. However, I like one, I would not, so I would not go through any confirmation. Every, phys- every physician I know would not go through confirmation. Right. And it doesn't have to be me taking money from pharma. It's, it's, it's like, a, the, it was such a broad statement. And Norm, that's wrong too. And this is on the heel, by the way, just uh, since words matter is not just limited to political issues. This week, um, there was a trial result from Eli Lilly on Alzheimer's, his phase three clinical trial, over 1,800 people. And it's kind of now solidified a better understanding that the plaques that we see in brains in Alzheimer's, that antibodies that can help remove those plaques actually do create like better clinical outcomes. Don't know if they'll stay. It's, it's early Alzheimer's patients. They saw incredible slowdown in cognitive decline. And for me as a doctor, that translates to years of somebody getting their life back. I'm not kidding. Like I will, I will literally wait until like the day that gets approved and covered. And I will start like pushing patients who meet the criteria. Yeah. And, and so I've, it's, had, it's I've so had hard for me to friends. attack pharma. Yeah. yeah so I've had a I, number of friends with uh, early Alzheimer's uh, and yeah. it, it's, it's my, just excruciating my, beyond words. My father, my father-in-law, they both meet criteria. And I had yeah. a conversation with my sister-in-law where I said, she said, how fast? Will, I said, look, I, I think the FDA will approve this drug. Will Medicare cover it quickly? I don't know. And she said, but, you know, what do you think it'll cost? And I mean, that's how desperate people are. And, and sure. I don't. So, so having said that, that is not, that is crazy. And that is not necessarily like the Democratic yeah. Party I'm a part of. No. And then just to your point about Ted Cruz and Enrique Terrio, like, and, and the two are not equivalent. So before I get the hate mail that like, how can you compare supportive pharma with a terrorist? I'm not. It's the extremes, leaving those of us who do not identify with those extremes abandoned. And that's where I do think Joe Biden in his back to the 92nd brilliant video he did to launch his campaign he's the one person that feels like he can you know navigate that middle i hope it i hope it sticks and i hope he gets his people on, like in gear to communicate that because that's that's what's going to make that's what's going to make the difference in the next year I, I i really feel that way so all right you let me rant norm always uh i'm so excited to see um, spontaneous uh, photobombing of wedding pictures that you're going to provide over the next couple of weeks. I hope you do tweet some like, you know, here's Norm crashing the crashing the wedding party fi- pictures. That'll make my day. But in the <laughs> in in the spirit of of thanking, we are heading into um, we are going to need to do a Mother's Day episode, Norm. Let's do that. Well, we're, yeah. we're getting close to we're getting close to a very important annual event. That I look forward to mostly so I can sleep in, but uh, we're we're <laughs> going to close out this episode of Words Matter. I want to thank our listeners. Help us spread the word by spreading, subscribing to this on your favorite podcast feed, and then sharing this episode with your friends on social media. And take it up a notch if you're not already a member of the DSR Network. Become one. Less than a custom latte a month, and 
you will get incredible return, hopefully, from all of our friends across the pods and also some exclusive content. I want to thank our amazing executive producer, Chris Cottonmore, and we will have our next episode on your podcast feeds in May on May 11th. Take care. Bye.